chapter eleven of the life of washington volume one by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven general braddock arrives convention of governors and plan of the campaign french expelled from nova scotia and inhabitants transplanted expedition against fort duquesne battle of monongahela defeat and death of general braddock expedition against crown point d'escau defeated expedition against niagara frontiers distressed by the indians meeting of the governors at new york plan for the campaign of seventeen fifty six lord loudon arrives montcalm takes oswego lord loudon abandons offensive operations smallpox breaks out in albany campaign of seventeen fifty seven opened admiral holborn arrives at halifax is joined by the earl of loudon expedition against louisburg relinquished lord loudon returns to new york fort william henry taken controversy between lord loudon and the assembly of massachusetts seventeen fifty five the establishment of the post on the ohio and the action at the little meadows being considered by the british government as the commencement of war in america the resolution to send a few regiments to that country was immediately taken general braddock and early in the year general braddock embarked at cork at the head of a respectable body of troops destined for the colonies an active offensive campaign being meditated general braddock convened the governors of the several provinces on the fourteenth of april in virginia who resolved to carry on three expeditions plan of the campaign the first and most important was against fort duquesne this was to be conducted by general braddock in person at the head of the british troops with such aids as could be drawn from maryland and virginia the second against niagara and fort frontenac was to be conducted by governor shirley the american regulars consisting of shirley and pepperell's regiments constituted the principal force destined for the reduction of these places the third was against crown point this originated with massachusetts and was to be prosecuted entirely with colonial troops to be raised by the provinces of new england and by new york it was to be commanded by colonel william johnson of the latter province while preparations were making for these several enterprises an expedition which had been previously concerted by the government of massachusetts was carried on against the french in nova scotia it has been already stated that the limits of this province remained unsettled while the commissioners of the two crowns were supporting the claims of their respective sovereigns in fruitless memorials the french occupied the country in contest and established military posts for its defence against these posts this enterprise was to be conducted on the twentieth of may the troops of massachusetts together with shirley's and pepperell's regiments amounting in the whole to about three thousand men embarked at boston under the command of lieutenant colonel winslow the fleet anchored about five miles from fort lawrence where a reinforcement was received of three hundred british troops and a small train of artillery the whole army commanded by lieutenant colonel monckton immediately after landing marched against beau the principal post held by the french in that country at the river musaquack which the french considered as the western boundary of nova scotia some slight works had been thrown up with the intention of disputing its passage after a short conflict the river was passed with the loss of only one man and in five days beauchejour capitulated french expelled from nova scotia 
other small places fell in succession and in the course of the month of june with the loss of only three men killed the english acquired complete possession of the whole province of nova scotia the recovery of this province was followed by one of those distressing measures which involve individuals in indiscriminate ruin and aggravate the calamities of war nova scotia having been originally settled by france its inhabitants were chiefly of that nation in the treaty of utrecht it was stipulated for the colonists that they should be permitted to hold their lands on condition of taking the oaths of allegiance to their new sovereign with this condition they refused to comply unless permitted to qualify it with a proviso that they should not be required to bear arms in defence of the province though this qualification to which the commanding officer of the british forces acceded was afterwards disallowed by the crown yet the french inhabitants continued to consider themselves as neutrals their devotion to france however would not permit them to conform their conduct to the character they had assumed in all the contests for the possession of their country they were influenced by their wishes rather than their duty and three hundred of them were captured with the garrison of beausejour their continuance in the country during the obstinate conflict which was commencing would it was feared endanger the colony and to expel them from it leaving them at liberty to choose their place of residence would be to reinforce the french in canada a council was held by the executive of nova scotia aided by the admirals boscawen and morty for the purpose of deciding on the destiny of these unfortunate people the inhabitants transported and the severe policy was adopted of removing them from their homes and dispersing them through the other british colonies this harsh measure was immediately put in execution and the miserable inhabitants of nova scotia were in one instant reduced from ease and contentment to a state of beggary their lands and movables with the exception of their money and household furniture were declared to be forfeited to the crown and to prevent their return the country was laid waste and their houses reduced to ashes as soon as the convention of governors had separated general braddock proceeded from alexandria to a fort at wills creek afterwards called fort cumberland at that time the most western post in virginia or maryland from which place the army destined against fort duquesne was to commence its march the difficulties of obtaining wagons and other necessary supplies for the expedition and delays occasioned by opening a road through an excessively rough country excited apprehensions that time would be afforded the enemy to collect in such force at fort duquesne as to put the success of the enterprise into some hazard under the influence of this consideration it was determined to select twelve hundred men who should be led by the general in person to the point of destination the residue of the army under the command of colonel dunbar was to follow with the baggage by slow and easy marches this disposition being made braddock pressed forward to his object in the confidence that he could find no enemy capable of opposing him and reached the monongahela on the eighth of july as the army approached fort duquesne the general was cautioned of the danger to which the character of his enemy and the face of the country exposed him and was advised to advance the provincial companies in his front for the purpose of scouring the woods and discovering ambuscades but he held both his enemy and the provincials in too much contempt to follow this salutary counsel three hundred british troops comprehending the grenadiers and light infantry commanded by colonel gage composed his van and he followed at some distance with the artillery and the main body of the army divided into small columns within seven miles of fort duquesne immediately after crossing the monongahela 
the second time in an open wood thick set with high grass as he was pressing forward without fear of danger his front received an unexpected fire from an invisible enemy battle of monongahela the van was thrown into some confusion but the general having ordered up the main body and the commanding officer of the enemy having fallen the attack was suspended and the assailants were supposed to be dispersed this delusion was soon dissipated the attack was renewed with increased fury the van fell back on the main body and the whole army was thrown into utter confusion the general possessed personal courage in an eminent degree but was without experience in that species of war in which he was engaged and seems not to have been endowed with that rare fertility of genius which adapts itself to the existing state of things and invents expedients fitted to the emergency in the impending crisis he was peculiarly unfortunate in his choice of measures neither advancing nor retreating he exerted his utmost powers to form his broken troops under an incessant and galling fire on the very ground where they had been attacked in his fruitless efforts to restore order every officer on horseback except mr washington one of his aides-de-camp was killed or wounded at length after losing three horses the general himself received a mortal wound upon which his regulars fled in terror and confusion fortunately the indian enemy was arrested by the plunder found on the field and the pursuit was soon given over the provincials exhibited an unexpected degree of courage and were among the last to leave the field death of braddock the defeated troops fled precipitately to the camp of dunbar where braddock expired of his wounds their panic was communicated to the residue of the army as if affairs had become desperate all the stores except those necessary for immediate use were destroyed and the british troops were marched to philadelphia where they went into quarters the western parts of pennsylvania maryland and virginia were left exposed to the incursions of the savages the frontier settlements were generally broken up and the inhabitants were driven into the interior so excessive was the alarm that even the people of the interior entertained apprehensions for their safety and many supposed that the seaboard itself was insecure the two northern expeditions though not so disastrous as that against fort duquesne were neither of them successful that against crown point was so retarded by those causes of delay to which military operations conducted by distinct governments are always exposed that the army was not ready to move until the last of august at length general johnson reached the south end of lake george on his way to ticonderoga of which he designed to take possession an armament fitted out in the port of brest for canada had eluded a british squadron which was stationed off the banks of newfoundland to intercept it and with the loss of two ships of war had entered the st lawrence after arriving at quebec the baron d'escal who commanded the french forces resolved without loss of time to proceed against the english at the head of about twelve hundred regulars and about six hundred canadians and indians he marched against oswego on hearing of this movement general johnson applied for reinforcements and eight hundred men were ordered by massachusetts to his assistance an additional body of two thousand men was directed to be raised for the same object and the neighboring colonies also determined to furnish reinforcements Diaz-Gow did not wait for their arrival perceiving that johnson was approaching lake george and being informed that the provincials were without artillery he determined to postpone his designs upon oswego and to attack them in their camp on being informed that Diaz-Gow was approaching johnson detached colonel williams 
with about one thousand men to reconnoitre and skirmish with him this officer met the french about four miles from the american camp and immediately engaged them he fell early in the action and his party was soon overpowered and put to flight d'escau defeated a second detachment sent in aid of the first experienced the same fate and both were closely pursued to the main body who were posted behind a breastwork of fallen trees at this critical moment within about one hundred and fifty yards of this work the french halted for a short time this interval having given the americans an opportunity to recover from the first alarm they determined on a resolute defence when the assailants advanced to the charge they were received with firmness the militia and savages fled and d'escau was under the necessity of ordering his regulars to retreat a close and ardent pursuit ensued and the general himself being mortally wounded and left alone was taken prisoner during the engagement a scouting party from fort edward under captains Folsom and mcginnis fell in with the baggage of the enemy and routed the guard which had been placed over it soon afterwards the retreating army of d'escau approached and was gallantly attacked by the americans this unexpected attack from an enemy whose numbers were unknown completed the confusion of the defeated army which abandoning its baggage fled towards the posts on the lake the repulse of d'escau magnified into a splendid victory had some tendency to remove the depression of spirits occasioned by the defeat of braddock and to inspire the provincials with more confidence in themselves general johnson who was wounded in the engagement received very solid testimonials of the gratitude and liberality of his country five thousand pounds sterling and the title of baronet were the rewards of his service this success must not improve the hopes and expectations of the public were not gratified and the residue of the campaign was spent in fortifying the camp massachusetts pressed a winter campaign but when her commissioners met those of connecticut and the lieutenant governor and council of new york it was unanimously agreed that the army under general johnson should be discharged except six hundred men to garrison fort edward on the great carrying place between the hudson and lake george and fort william henry on that lake the french took possession of ticonderoga and fortified it expedition against niagara the expedition against niagara and fort fontenac was also defeated by delays in making the preparations necessary for its prosecution shirley did not reach oswego till late in august after ascertaining the state of the garrison he determined to abandon that part of the enterprise which respected fort frontenac and to proceed against niagara while employed in the embarkation of his troops on the lake the rain set in with such violence as to suspend his operations until the season was so far advanced that the attempt against niagara was also relinquished and surely returned to albany thus terminated the campaign of seventeen fifty five it opened with so decided a superiority of force on the part of the english as to promise the most important advantages but if we accept the expulsion of the french from nova scotia no single enterprise was crowned with success great exertions were made by the northern colonies but their efforts were productive of no benefit from the want of one general superintending authority in their councils which could contemplate and control the different parts of the system which could combine all their operations and direct them with effect towards the attainment of the object pursued everything failed such delays and deficiencies were experienced that though a considerable force was in motion it could not be brought to the point against which it was to act until the season for action was over nor execute the plans 
which were concerted until the opportunity had passed away general braddock's grave showing the monument recently erected it is not generally appreciated that this british commander was chosen to head the expedition to destroy the french power in america in seventeen fifty four to five because of his distinguished army record in the battle of fontancy for instance he was colonel in command of the famous coldstream guards who covered themselves with glory and shortly before embarking for america he was made major-general of the line braddock had won his promotion solely through gallantry and at a time when a lieutenant-colonelcy in this crack british regiment sold for five thousand pounds sterling despite his fatal mistake in not heeding the advice of his aide washington in conducting his expedition against fort duquesne pittsburgh braddock regarded washington and franklin as the greatest men in the colonies meeting the french and indians on july nine seventeen fifty five the british were routed and braddock was fatally wounded after having four horses shot under him dying four days later at great meadows where he is buried he bequeathed his favorite surviving horse and body servant to washington then a colonel the system adopted by the british cabinet for conducting the war in america left to the colonial governments to determine what number of men each should bring into the field but required them to support their own troops and to contribute to the support of those sent from great britain to their assistance but this system could not be enforced the requisitions of the minister were adopted rejected or modified at the discretion of the government on which they were made and as no rule of apportionment had been adopted each colony was inclined to consider itself as having contributed more than its equal share towards the general object and as having received less than its just proportion of the attention and protection of the mother country this temper produced a slow and reluctant compliance on the part of some which enfeebled and disconcerted enterprises for the execution of which the resources of several were to be combined distress of the frontiers in the meantime the whole frontier as far as north carolina was exposed to the depredations of the savages who were almost universally under the influence of the french their bloody incursions were made in all directions and many settlements were entirely broken up it is a curious and singular fact that while hostilities were thus carried on by france and england against each other in america the relations of peace and amity were preserved between them and europe each nation had in consequence of the military operations in seventeen fifty four determined to fit out a considerable armament to aid the efforts made in its colonies and when it was understood that admiral boscawen was ordered to intercept that of france the duc de mirepoix the french ambassador at london complained of the proposed measure and gave formal notice that the king his master would consider the first gun fired at sea as a declaration of war on receiving intelligence of the capture of a part of the squadron by boscawen the french minister at the court of st james was recalled without asking an audience of leave upon which letters of mark and reprisal were issued by the british government this prompt and vigorous measure had much influence on the war which was declared in form the following spring general shirley on his return to albany after the close of the campaign in seventeen fifty five received a commission appointing him commander-in-chief of the king's forces in north america a meeting of all the governors was immediately called at new york for the purpose of concerting a plan for the ensuing campaign operations equally extensive with those proposed for the preceding campaign were again contemplated to ensure their success it was determined to raise ten thousand men for the expedition against crown point six thousand for that against niagara and three thousand for that against fort duquesne to favor the operations of this formidable force it was farther determined that two thousand men 
should advance up the kennebec destroy the settlement on the chaudiere and descending to the mouth of that river keep all that part of canada in alarm in the meantime it was proposed to take advantage of the season when the lake should be frozen to seize ticonderoga in order to facilitate the enterprise against crown point this project was defeated by the unusual mildness of the winter and about the middle of january general shirley repaired to boston in order to make the necessary preparations for the ensuing campaign such was a solicitude to accomplish the objects in contemplation and so deep an interest did the colonists take in the war that every nerve was strained to raise and equip the number of men required seventeen fifty six command bestowed on lord loudon having made in massachusetts all the preparations for the next campaign so far as depended on the government shirley repaired to albany where he was superseded by major-general abercrombie who soon afterwards yielded the command to the earl of loudon early in the year that nobleman had been appointed to the command of all his majesty's forces in north america and extensive powers civil as well as military had been conferred on him but he did not arrive at albany until midsummer in the spring the provincial troops destined for the expedition against crown point were assembled in the neighborhood of lake george they were found not much to exceed seven thousand men and even this number was to be reduced in order to garrison posts in the rear this army being too weak to accomplish its object major-general winslow who commanded it declared himself unable to proceed on the expedition without reinforcements the arrival of a body of british troops with general abercrombie removed this difficulty but another occurred which still farther suspended the enterprise the regulations respecting rank had given great disgust in america and had rendered it disagreeable and difficult to carry on any military operations which required a junction of british and provincial troops when consulted on this delicate subject winslow assured general abercrombie of his apprehensions that if the result of the junction should be to place the provincial troops under british officers it would produce general discontent and perhaps desertion his officers concurred in this opinion and it was finally agreed that british troops should succeed the provincials in the posts then occupied by them so as to enable the whole colonial force to proceed under winslow against crown point on the arrival of the earl of loudon this subject was revived the question was seriously propounded whether the troops in the several colonies of new england armed with his majesty's arms would in obedience to his commands signified to them act in conjunction with his european troops or under the command of his commander-in-chief the colonial officers answered this question in the affirmative but entreated it as a favor of his lordship as the new england troops had been raised on particular terms that he would permit them so far as might consist with his majesty's service to act separately this request was acceded to but before the army could be put in motion the attention both of the europeans and provincials was directed to their own defence montcalm takes oswego monsieur de montcalm an able officer who succeeded d'escau in the command of the french troops in canada sought to compensate by superior activity for the inferiority of his force while the british and americans were adjusting their difficulties respecting rank and deliberating whether to attack niagara or fort duquesne montcalm advanced at the head of about five thousand europeans canadians and indians against oswego in three days he brought up his artillery and opened a battery which played on the fort with considerable effect colonel mercer the commanding officer was killed and in a few hours the place was declared by the engineers to be no longer tenable the garrison consisting of the regiments of shirley and pepperell amounting to sixteen hundred men supplied with provisions for five months capitulated and became prisoners of war 
a respectable naval armament then on the lake was also captured the fort at oswego had been erected in the country of the five nations and had been viewed by them with some degree of jealousy Moncom, actuated by a wise policy destroyed it in their presence declaring at the same time that the french wished only to enable them to preserve their neutrality and would therefore make no other use of the rights of conquest than to demolish the fortresses which the english had erected in their country to overawe them the british general disconcerted at this untoward event abandoned all his plans of offensive operations general winslow was ordered to relinquish his intended expedition and to fortify his camp and endeavor to prevent the enemy from penetrating into the country by the way of south bay or wood creek major-general webb with fourteen hundred men was posted at the great carrying place and to secure his rear sir william johnson with one thousand militia was stationed at the german flats these dispositions being made the colonies were strenuously urged to reinforce the army it was represented to them that should any disaster befall winslow the enemy might be enabled to overrun the country unless opposed by a force much superior to that in the field smallpox in albany during this state of apprehensive inactivity the smallpox broke out in albany this enemy was more dreaded by the provincials than montcalm himself so great was the alarm that it was found necessary to garrison the posts in that quarter entirely with british troops and to discharge all the provincials except a regiment raised in new york thus terminated for a second time in defeat and utter disappointment the sanguine hopes which the colonists had formed of a brilliant and successful campaign after all their expensive and laborious preparations not an effort had been made to drive the invaders of the country even from their outpost at ticonderoga the expedition to lake ontario had not been commenced and no preparations had been made for that against fort duquesne the colonies of pennsylvania maryland and virginia far from contemplating offensive operations had been unable to defend themselves and their frontiers were exposed to all the horrors of indian warfare the expedition of the kennebec was also abandoned thus no one enterprise contemplated after the opening of the campaign was carried into execution seventeen fifty seven about the middle of january the governors of the northern provinces were convened in a military council at boston the earl of loudon opened his propositions to them with a speech in which he attributed all the disasters that had been sustained to the colonies and in which he proposed that new england should raise four thousand men for the ensuing campaign requisitions proportionably large were also made on new york and new jersey campaign of seventeen fifty seven the ill success which had thus far attended the combined arms of great britain and her colonies did not discourage them their exertions to bring a powerful force into the field were repeated and the winter was employed in preparations for the ensuing campaign the requisitions of lord loudon were complied with and he found himself in the spring at the head of a respectable army some important enterprise against canada when the armament expected from europe should arrive was eagerly anticipated and the most sanguine hopes of success were again entertained admiral holborn arrives is joined by lord loudon in the beginning of july admiral holborn reached halifax with a powerful squadron and reinforcement of five thousand british troops commanded by george viscount howe and on the sixth of the same month the earl of loudon sailed from new york with six thousand regulars a junction of these formidable armaments was effected without opposition and the loudon colonists looked forward with confidence for a decisive blow which would shake the power of france and america the expedition against louisbourg relinquished the plan of this campaign varied from that which had been adopted in the preceding years the vast and complex movements heretofore proposed were no longer contemplated and offensive operations were to be confined to a single object 
leaving the posts on the lakes strongly garrisoned the british general determined to direct his whole disposable force against louisburg and fixed on halifax as the place of rendezvous for the fleet and army after assembling the land and naval forces at this place information was received that a fleet had lately arrived from france and that louisburg was so powerfully defended as to render any attempt upon it hopeless in consequence of this intelligence the enterprise was deferred until the next year the general and admiral returned to new york in august and the provincials were dismissed the french general feeling no apprehension for louisburg determined to avail himself of the absence of a large part of the british force and to obtain complete possession of lake george with an army collected chiefly from the garrisons of crown point ticonderoga and the adjacent forts amounting with the addition of indians and canadians to nine thousand men the marquis de montcalm laid siege to fort william henry that place was well fortified and garrisoned by three thousand men and derived additional security from an army of four thousand men at fort edwards under the command of major-general webb fort william henry taken notwithstanding the strength of the place and its means of defence montcalm urged his approaches with so much vigour that articles of capitulation surrendering the fort artillery and stores and stipulating that the garrison should not serve against his most christian majesty or his allies for the space of eighteen months were signed within six days after its investment when this important place was surrendered the commander-in-chief had not returned from halifax general webb alarmed for fort edward applied for reinforcements and the utmost exertions were made to furnish the aids he required the return of the army to new york on the last of august dispelled all fear of an invasion and enabled the general who contemplated no farther active operations to dismiss the provincials unsuccessful in all his attempts to gather laurels from the common enemy the earl of loudon engaged in a controversy with massachusetts in the commencement of which he displayed a degree of vigour which had been kept in reserve for two campaigns this controversy is thus stated by mr minot upon information from the governor that a regiment of highlanders was expected in boston the general court provided barracks for the accommodation of one thousand men at castle island soon afterwards several officers arrived from nova scotia to recruit their regiments finding it impracticable to perform this service while in the barracks at the castle they applied to the justices of the peace to quarter and billet them as provided by act of parliament the justices refused to grant this request on the principle that the act did not extend to the colonies when informed of this refusal lord loudon addressed a letter to the justices insisting peremptorily on the right as the act did in his opinion extend to america and to every part of the king's dominions where the necessities of the people should oblige him to send his troops he concluded a long dissertation on the question in the following decisive terms that having used gentleness and patience and confuted their arguments without effect they having returned to their first mistaken plan their not complying would lay him under the necessity of taking measures to prevent the whole continent from being thrown into a state of confusion as nothing was wanting to set things right but the justices doing their duty for no act of the assembly was necessary or wanting for it he had ordered the messenger to remain only forty-eight hours in boston and if on his return he found things not settled he would instantly order into boston the three battalions from new york long island and connecticut and if more were wanting he had two in the jerseys at hand besides those in pennsylvania as public business obliged him to take another route he had no more time left to settle this material affair and must take the necessary steps before his departure in case they were not done by themselves the general court passed a law for the purpose of removing the inconveniences of which the officers complained but this law 
not equaling the expectations of lord loudon he communicated his dissatisfaction in a letter to the governor which was laid before the assembly who answered by an address to his excellency in which the spirit of their forefathers seemed to revive they again asserted that the act of parliament did not extend to the colonies and that they had for this reason enlarged the barracks at the castle and passed a law for the benefit of recruiting parties as near the act of parliament as the circumstances of the country would admit that such a law was necessary to give power to the magistrates and that they were willing to make it whenever his majesty's troops were necessary for their defence they asserted their natural rights as englishmen that by the royal charter the powers and privileges of civil government were granted to them that their enjoyment of these was their support under all burdens and would animate them to resist an invading enemy to the last if their adherence to their rights and privileges should in any measure lessen the esteem which his lordship had conceived for them it would be their great misfortune but that they would have the satisfaction of reflecting that both in their words and actions they had been governed by a sense of duty to his majesty and faithfulness to the trust committed to them this address being forwarded to lord loudon he affected to rely on their removing all difficulties in future and not only countermanded the march of the troops but condescended to make some conciliatory observations respecting the zeal of the province in his majesty's service for these the two houses made an ample return in a message to the governor in which they disavowed any intention of lessening their dependence on parliament and expressly acknowledged the authority of all acts which concerned and extended to the colonies this explicit avowal of sentiments so different from those which massachusetts had long cherished respecting her connection with the mother country would induce a belief that she had recently become more colonial in her opinions this was probably the fact but mr minot who may be presumed to have been personally acquainted with the transaction does not attribute to that cause entirely the conciliating temper manifested at the close of a contest which had commenced with such appearances of asperity massachusetts had made large advances for the prosecution of the war for which she expected reimbursements from parliament and was not willing at such a juncture to make impressions unfavorable to the success of her claims End of chapter eleven